in our worship, we're focusing on joy. J-O-Y. Is there anybody in the audience today that that is your middle name? Anybody? You're all like, I'm not giving away my middle name. I'm not doing it. I see a couple hands. Um, joy. It's, it's one of the most misunderstood words in our society. We talk about happy. You know, back in the day, I used to use the word stoked a lot. <laughs> but uh, we don't often say joy. It's a lost art. So we're going to kind of redefine, reemphasize joy this morning. Yes, I see that hand. Joy right there. Jesus, others, and you. And as I planned this out earlier this week, and, and even going back a few weeks as I was planning out our whole Advent series, I thought, hey, Jesus, others, and you. And I'm like, I know I've heard that somewhere before, but let's go with that, and then we're going to be in Matthew 2, or Matthew 1. So if you want to turn there, Matthew 2, 1 through 12. There's a lot of twos and ones in this this morning. It's just very confusing. But I went back Thursday as we were prepping for our incredible live nativity, live action nativity, and let's give a hand to all those that did that. Just a tremendous, tremendous time. Um, if you missed it, ha, you missed it, because uh, we're not doing it anymore. You can drive by and, and see uh, our, our nativity set out there, but boy, we're going to talk in January with all those that were involved and see if we're going to do it again next year. So make sure you talk, uh, send in your, your votes, call operators, they're waiting now. Let us know if we're doing it again next year. So I go back and I look Thursday night and I'm, I'm, I discover I preached this message in 2015. No wonder I recognized it. <laughs> and I'm sitting there thinking, you do not preach the same sermon. So I'm not preaching the same sermon. I just scrub the whole thing and start over on Thursday night. So if it's really bad, just get over it. Because <laughs> we're focusing on joy, okay? Uh, I don't know what you do in your household for Christmas traditions, but we have one, we have many, but we have one in particular that starts the day after Thanksgiving. It is phenomenal. And it brings incredible amounts of joy into our family. You are not allowed to talk about these words. You can't say these words before the day after Thanksgiving in our household, or you are somehow penalized. Those words are eggnog. <laughs> it, is the, it is the holy drink in our family. So much so that I just happened to have some <laughs> of the glorious liquid in my hands this morning. Now, Eggnog can be a polarizing tradition. And I can see it on your faces right now. So let's just have a little fun with it. So, and, and as a matter of fact, we have so much fun with this that Gentry this year, I think she went at 1 a.m. She so badly wanted to get her eggnog, she went at 1 a.m. Or, or it's like 6 a.m. on the day after Thanksgiving to the grocery store and, and got the eggnog. And growing up, our kids used to watch a cartoon, and they had an episode where whenever somebody said eggnog, somebody held, had to yell mine. And whoever said mine the quickest got the first drink of eggnog. So that's our tradition. We're nuts, okay? <laughs> we just run around, eggnog, mine, eggnog, mine, eggnog, mine. It was very selfish in our household. 
all right? Very self-absorbed people. So, uh, you know, we, we get the holy liquid, and uh, what we understand is that not everybody's into eggnog. And this is my segue in transitionary peace. Much like the Christ child, he was a polarizing figure. For some, eggnog brings great joy and expectation. For some, Jesus brings great joy and expectation. How many of you, that joy and expectation of eggnog is in your life in a very real way? How many of you, when you're seeing me hold this in your hands, you're ready to go to another church? <laughs> go ahead, you can raise your hands. <laughs> Most of my deacons and elders, great. We're, we're, uh, we're in big trouble around here. So, folks, expectation is one thing. By the way, like, like last year, we got so overboard with this, we went to the store and we bought four different versions, and we had a tasting and pairing night with eggnog in my house. Okay, and so some of us are nuts about eggnog. Luscious goodness. Now, I mean, what other drink sounds like that when you shake it? All right, you know what? We did have a child lose, uh, lose her breakfast right here last sermon, and I think it might have been the smell of the eggnog. So if anybody's getting a little nauseous, was that too far? Was that too much? A little TMI? So... Look, this morning our focus is expectant joy. Can I just tell you, when I get that urge for the eggnog, which I just call it nog, I go to the refrigerator and there's great expectation when I open that door. And when I get in there and somebody has drunk all the nog, there is immense sorrow in my life. <laughs> but right now I hold the nog, the golden luscious nog in my hand and I hold a waiting receptacle of joy. Now, I want you to hear the sound as it hits the bottom of the receptacle. Right? Right? That's the sign of a good nog. It makes no splash. It makes no splash. Oh, eggy but yet nutty. I was talking about myself, not the drink. So I, heard, I heard you thinking. I heard you thinking. Now, how many of you are, are getting grossed out by the moment that I'm about to drink this, but some of you are actually salivating? There's like great expectant joy, and you wish this was in your hand right now. And some of you, your stomachs are turning, and, and you're ready to leave, and it's, we can't do this yet. We just cannot do this yet. Because just like the Christ child, there is expectation, there is joy, there is a story that we have to examine this morning out of Matthew 2. So turn in your scriptures, if you will. And this is a beautiful part of the story of Christmas, the reality, the truth of Christmas. I'm going to read out of Matthew 2, and you can follow along with me. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem. And they said, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. 
And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem saying, Go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. The first word that we want to focus on this morning in the alliteration of joy is Jesus. It's Jesus. And sometimes what happens is our joy gets stolen away from us, subversively even, because we let other things take the place of Jesus. Because other things rise to the top. Maybe it's others. Maybe you spend Christmas worrying about others. And, and you're about to fall apart. Maybe it's you that's the first priority. And because of that, you face incredible limitations or you're self-examining and you're struggling with who you are or what your life is. You see, when we don't start with Jesus, we surrender a portion of our joy. Can I encourage you, start with Jesus. That's where we start today, with this story. What I want to do is I want to take you to 1 John. So I'm going to. Go to 1 John. And here's why I want you to see this. In studying this past week, those that want to be critics of the Bible and and say that this really isn't real and and that it's easily uh, dissuaded, One of the things that they'll do is they'll look at the difference between the Luke account in Luke 2 and Matthew 2. And in Luke 2, we see that Jesus is born. It's a baby. What did you hear? Did you hear the word baby in Matthew 2? You heard the word child. Okay? And at the end of the Luke 2 account, they go to uh, the temple, and that's where Simeon and Anna prophesy over the baby, and Mary is done with... Uh, with what she has to do, and, and the word in Luke says that then they return to Nazareth. Now, Nazareth would be like us traveling to Reading, all right? To go to Jerusalem to Nazareth would be like going from here to Reading. I don't know why you would do it, but they felt the same way about Nazareth, okay? So they're from Nazareth. Now, those that want to be critics of the Scripture say, you've got a contradiction here. You've got a big problem, Luke says they went this way, and yet Matthew says they're in Bethlehem. Contradiction story over. There's no joy in my life anymore because there's no Jesus. 
because this doesn't line up. Real simple. Have you ever gone to visit family? Ryan, your mother is right here. And your mother lives in what town? Oakley, which is way far away that way. So mom lives in Oakley, but she came to visit today. What are the chances she's ever going to come back and visit you again? Probably not very good after this message, but uh, she's going to be like, don't ever bring eggnog up either. But pretty solid chance mom's going to come visit you again, right? Sure. So folks, people want to take the joy out of Christmas. People want to take Jesus out of Christmas. And the result is, when you take Jesus out of Christmas, you evacuate joy. You evacuate expectation. This criticism is easily solved. It's two years later. And while the scripture doesn't specifically say this, would it stand to reason that, that Mary has a cousin named Elizabeth who's had a baby named John, and John and Jesus grow up together, and that Elizabeth's husband is the priest and he has ceremonies, and that you continually had to come to Jerusalem as a Jew to do those things, and you might have been visiting, and they're now in a house, they're not in a stable. All of this makes a lot of sense, and you can see yourself doing this in your own lives. But yet people, for some reason, want to take Jesus out of the equation. And again, when you do that, you take the joy out of your life. So, for those that doubt because there were plenty of doubters. Let's not just go one decade, not two decades. Let's go three decades down the line. Actually, much more than that, because the birth. So let's go six decades removed from the birth of Christ. And let's listen to what John, his disciples, said to the church who started to take the joy out of who Jesus is. Started to take the expectation. And they wanted to take the divinity out of Jesus. They wanted to say that he was just a prophet. And John comes along and he says, let me talk to you. I was there. I know who this man is. Listen to his words out of 1 John. And we're starting in chapter 1, verse 1. And he says this, that which was from the beginning. What does he do in his first statement, in his first phrase? How many of you have been around since the beginning? Some of you feel that way. But what John is saying with his very first words is, He is eternal. Only one gets to claim that, and that is God. Eternality is an attribute of God. And that is exactly where John starts. Let me remind you who you're talking about. Let's reset the button so you can get your joy back so Jesus can be at the front of your joy. Who are we talking about? He was the one that was there from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. John's saying, stop speculating. You weren't there. Listen to me. I was there. I saw him. I heard him. I touched him. He's God. He's God. You see, even back at the time of Christ, there were plenty of doubters. And again, they wanted to take 
Jesus out of the equation. There was no expectation of the joy that they would have because of Jesus and who He is as God. Let's continue on. What does John say? Which we have looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the Word of Life. The Word of Life was another way. It's this word logos in the Greek. And it's the way of describing Jesus as the very venerable words of God Himself. It's the living manifestation. That's exactly the words that He used. He says that life was made manifest. It became tangible. It became real when Jesus was born in Bethlehem. A miracle. And we have seen it, and we testify to it, and we proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and then was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard and we proclaim also to you so that you too may have fellowship with us. Now fellowship, we don't use that word either. How many of you like calling up your friends, hey, let's, uh, you know, let's go to the movies and fellowship? Right? Hey, let's... Listen, those, that word's used just selectively within Christianese. All right? We have great fellowship. There's a great word for that in the Greek, which makes no sense. I don't know why pastors do this. You guys walking around talking Greek this week? If you were here, at, if you're here for the live nativity, Gary spoke a little Greek. It was incredible. Oh, no, that was just New Jersey. But the Greek word here is called koinonia, and it means this idea of kinship, of dwelling with one another, of having connection. That's the word we use. Connection. Relationship. And what is John saying? We want you, the other people in this story, to have fellowship. And in essence, what is he saying? To have the same joy we have because we know Jesus. We want you to have that fellowship with us. And listen to me, I was there, I walked with him, I talked with him, I saw him. He is divine, he is the son of God. Stop messing with the kenosis, right? Jesus is who Jesus said he is. And so he goes on and he finishes up, that which we have seen and heard we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with his son, Jesus Christ. And here is the great statement. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. You see, to know Jesus is to open up a world of expectant joy. In my life, I have this much ability. Okay, this much ability. I have this much ability. But I got to tell you, I'm a sports fan, and I watch a lot of sports on TV. And I, I see these commercials, and every Christmas, I peek out the window just with great expectation, thinking there's going to be a Lexus sitting in my front driveway. <laughs> and it hasn't happened yet. And, and not just a Lexus, it should have a bow around it, and I should have a puppy in my arms. <laughs> and it should be snowing in San Francisco. This is what the world equates as joy. They can have it. If you have a Lexus, I'm not insulting your car, all right? But they can have it. Because that Lexus is going to break down, and then i got the payments on the Lexus, or someone's going to hit it, and it all ends up at pick-apart. But the joy of Christ comes with great expectation and without limitation. 
only because of one thing, because Jesus has no limitations. He has no limitations. So you start with Jesus. When we don't start with Jesus, we're putting other things in front of him, especially at Christmas, we're letting things strip our joy away from us. Well, that takes us to the O, which is others. Oh, the others. Now, until I connected this, and that's why sometimes it's, it's, um, it's kind of a fantastic thing to go back over, maybe even sermons that you've done in the past, because the Word of God is alive, it's breathing, and it, it shows you new things. It always is speaking the same truth. The truth of it doesn't change, but sometimes the Holy Spirit illuminates that truth to help you understand different applications. And so I'm looking at this story today with a newfound appreciation and expectation for these wise men, right? When I think about the wise men's story, it's kind of odd. How many of you, like, on, on, on Christmas morning, you go to Matthew 2 to read that part of the Christmas? No, nobody goes there, right? Everybody's going to Luke 2. It's the manger, it's the shepherds, it's the angels, it's cute, it's fluffy, there's this, you know, there's cold and, and you know, warmth and it's just beautiful. It's kind of like out there, right? And then you think about the idea of it's everything's fine, folks. That's our wonderful Melissa right back there. She's doing great. And so you think about the idea of these guys, these other guys. And history would say that they came maybe even as far as Persia. They knew nothing about God. But God chose to reveal himself in unique circumstance not to just Israel, not just to a select few. Let me tell you why Jesus is so polarizing like eggnog. You'll never look at eggnog the same way. You see, we're going to get into the issue of Herod here in a minute. But the challenge for Rome was not the message of Christ. By the time Rome caught on to what was happening because of the message of Christ, because of the transformational power of faith and grace and the cross and the resurrection. By the time they caught on, Christ had already ascended. It was just history. Philo and, and, uh, and Josephus were the ones informing them about who, who this Christ was. What their problem was is what was happening because of Christ. And we sang it in O Holy Night. See, Rome dominated over its people. And it formed this huge class separation. And what Christianity does is it brings the others in on equal footing. And that's what was so beautiful to everybody is that the slave could sit next to the slave owner and according to Christ, they were of equal value. And it was revolutionary. How did the others come? Because God revealed to them the beauty and the hope and the joy of who Jesus is. And they left everything behind. And they pursued a star? How many of you are leaving everything behind to follow a star? Now that's real faith. 
I've got the whole story. You've got the whole story. We can see Jesus. We can see the resurrection. We can see all of that. But these three wise men, intelligent people, they would have known mathematics. They would have known history. They would have studied sociology. They were seen as the wise counselors within their civilization. And what do they do? They leave everything behind to follow a star. And it says that when they arrived and they talked to Herod, that the star rose again and and rested over the place, the house where Jesus was. And they were exceedingly rejoicing with what? Great joy. You see, when you see Jesus, when you focus on Jesus, the result is joy, even for the others. Even for the others. This morning, let me read to you some words from Paul that goes back a couple uh, or two or three decades after this story. Did you just blow hope out? (laughs) I I have no more. You could have left joy burning. (laughs) At least. Thank you for your concern. 2 Corinthians 5. Wow. I cannot tell you the amazing things that have been happening all day around here. I talk about expectation. All right. Paul talks to us a few decades after the ascension of Jesus Christ. We're not talking about the birth. We're, not, we're talking about others. And we're talking about the joy of Christ changing others. So what does that look like? Well, it has to do with our theme on these banners behind me. Being a new creation. How many of you, if you could do it, don't raise your hands, but if you could start all over again and let all the old problems, challenges, difficulties, but you got to keep all the good things, how many of us would do it? You see, that's the expectation of the joy of Jesus. That's what Jesus offers, is a new creation. He says the old has passed away, the new has come. Listen to this. And then he explains why God sent his son. Verse 16, from now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh. We regard him no longer, or thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Praise God. And then he says, all this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the others to himself. Is that what your scripture says? What does your scripture say? The world. Every time you see the world written in scripture, I want you to think the others. I want you to think the others. One of the most beautiful results of all the hard work that went into our live nativity is that some of you were blessed to have prayers answered and your effective outreach answered. And we had so many people that would fit in that idea of the others. Come and observe. And my faith wasn't very strong because I thought that they would just get back in their cars and leave. But if you came in here, you saw this room packed with people getting drinks and cookies. And there was a, a particular couple that are just from the neighborhood that live right down the street on Concord Boulevard. 
came, walked up because they saw the sign, and engaged with, with one of our family and said this was incredible and, and handed her money. And this gal said, thanks so much for the money. I'm going to Nordstrom's. No, she didn't say that. <laughs> she said, we didn't do this for money. She said, you could keep it. No, no, put this in. No, you, you keep it. Just, we've got these services. And you can come in and have some, something warm to eat. Right? That fellowship, that connectivity. Last night, I met a couple that we posted on our, our local thing called Next Door Neighborhood. And they came and they walked in, and my wife grabbed them up and just walked them right through a sea of people, right to get the drinks. And, and handed some hot cider, and the gentleman said, uh, I've never had hot cider before. Is, uh, is there rum in it? <laughs> and we said, well, we're not sure, but we don't think so. <laughs> the others. God came for the others. And as those wise men pursued Christ, what a joy. What a joy. That it wasn't select to just a few reserved people that get Jesus. Today, maybe you're one of the others. Maybe that message is coming to you. Maybe that message is speaking to you. Maybe the beauty of who Jesus is, not was, not a story, but the reality of Jesus Christ bringing us great joy and transforming our lives from the old to the new. Maybe that's speaking to you today, and that's a beautiful segue into the last point, which is you. When it comes to you, how do we look at this passage out of Matthew 2? Well, you're not Jesus, so safe on that. You might fit into one of the three wise men representing other people. Maybe you fit into the role of Herod. You see, Herod was a confused and insecure, power-hungry person. And he was just trying to fit in the lineage of all the people that had gone before him and that surrounded him. And this is how you did things. This is how you did things. And if there was anybody that was a threat to you, you killed them. That's how the management program worked in Rome. So Herod sees a threat. Remember I told you eggnog can be a polarizing part of our lives. How much more is Jesus Christ polarizing? Because see, what Herod understood is Jesus, as the wise men described Him. And Herod would have known. Herod had a a Jewish background. He would have known about Messiah. And to know that Messiah would be born in his backyard in the shadow of Jerusalem, he had to do something about it because he wasn't willing to take the threat to his power. And so Herod starts conspiring to kill the Christ child. And in essence, killed his joy. He didn't kill the Christ child, but he killed his joy. And he killed his opportunity to understand the beauty and the nature and the wonder of who Jesus truly is, who is not a threat to us. But there is a truth to the fact that when it comes to you and it comes to me, the why in joy is that if you and I are going to experience that joy, I need to be willing to not see Jesus as a threat. Do we understand that? To not see Jesus as a threat. 
Don't play the role of Herod. But see what Jesus is for who he is. That he came in love. He came in sacrifice. He came to give to you and to me that which we could never possess. He was the greatest gift from God to the others so that we might have what? Eternal life. That our lives might be taken from the old and be made new again. And as I close today, that's where I want to leave you. I want to leave you on the tail end of those wise men having just walked out of the house, having just worshipped. And how much joy do you think was in their life? How much excitement do you think was in their life? Because you see, they put Jesus first and they knew that they were the others and they took personal responsibility to go worship Him and recognize Him for who He was. I could just hear that conversation where joy was realized, expectation was found. And they might have stopped off at Yeshua's tavern <laughs> for a little nog chaser to celebrate the birth of Jesus. You know, there's some Scripture that specifically says, come to the Lord, taste and see that He is good. Amen? Amen? This is not Christ. This is just Nog. But there's so much joy in this. And yet this can be polarizing. I can see it on your faces. Brothers and sisters, you get the point, right? Jesus first. Know that God sent Jesus for others. And know that you and I, if we want that joy that Jesus offers, we need to pursue just like those three wise men. Amen? Amen. Expectation of joy. That's what it means to know Jesus Christ. Let me pray for our time. I'm going to call the worship band back up. If you have brought... Uh, your gifts today, your offerings as you leave today, the boxes on the right in the lobby. If you filled out one of those cards and you have some prayer requests, write those on the back. Those go in the box on the right that says welcome cards. The offerings go on the left. Thank you so much for taking time out of your day to come and worship. You see, in certain ways, you're just like those three wise guys. You left your home I don't know if you followed a star, but you came to worship Jesus. And as I go to prayer, I'm going to give you the opportunity to hear what Paul said. On the 25th, most of us will receive gifts. I'm hoping that those gifts are enough and they're extensions of love towards you from another person that you don't look at it and just say, nah. No thanks. But see, this happens in this moment all the time when it comes to Jesus. You are being offered that gift right now of Jesus Christ. And it is so desperately complicated. But God took care of all the complication. Our part is so 
desperately easy. And it's faith. Just like those wise men, they didn't know necessarily what was on the other end of that star, but they knew that they wanted to follow it. And they did so with exceeding expectation and joy. Today, maybe you've heard, maybe the Spirit's talking to you, maybe the message of Christ is saying, I want to step away from the old and I want to pursue the new. And we'll address that in my prayer in just a minute. Let's pray. To you, Father, we give all glory. And I thank you that you saw this part of what happened at the birth of your son and two years later, the way that you reached to others so far away and you created a way for them to see Jesus. You created a way for them to experience joy of pursuing Jesus. I pray that we have that joy every day for those that know him and that we don't put anything else in front of our joy. That Jesus is that priority. He's always in the front part of our, our heart and our soul. So that joy is never mitigated. But Lord, for those that, that are just like those three wise men, they have not yet met Christ. They have not met yet your Son. But the gift has been offered. I pray, Lord, open the eyes and the hearts that they simply have enough faith just like the wise men to pursue your Son. Lift their hearts in that direction. Father, thank you for the blessedness of the truth of your Son and the gift that He is. I'm going to ask a favor, and that's that you just stay meditative with your eyes closed. And I just feel led to pray for uh, anybody that you desire that pursuit. And if that pursuit is your desire, so this is going to get a little wonky if you're looking up and it doesn't fit you, because then I'm not going to know what to do with you. But if you desire to follow and seek Christ and pursue that joy of knowing Jesus Christ, you don't know what that means necessarily, but there's something stirring in your heart that the pursuit of Christ is something that you're enticed by. You desire to know more about it. I would love to be able to pray for you, but i got to know if that's going on for you. So everybody's, I'm just preaching truth right now. Everybody's head is down. Everybody's eyes are closed. If that's you, I just want you to look up at me so I can know how to, who to pray for. Thank you. Anybody else? Is there anybody else that desires that? Thank you. Thank you. Anybody else? Just look up and I'll pray for you. Thank you. Thank you. All right, let me pray for you now. Father, we lift up to you those that you're working in their hearts. Lift up and encourage each of us. Give us exceeding joy. We ask for your blessing over all that you are doing. And lead us out as we worship now. Amen.